Dotnet Rocks episode 705 with guests Rocky Lotka and Billy Hollis. Recorded live Friday, October 7th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Wow, Richard, we're really doing another show, aren't we? I can't imagine, but what else can you do with everything that's going on? Welcome to the Tablet Show, ladies and gentlemen. This is a new venture with Richard and I. And quite frankly, we are astounded at the sales of iPads and Android tablets and looking forward to Windows 8 tablets. And uh, the excitement is surpassing uh, that of traditional PCs in, in terms of sales alone. Apple is expected to have sold 28 million iPads by the end of this year. And I just saw that the Samsung 7 Series, which is the build tablet more or less, available for sale, $1,300 at the Microsoft Store. Yes. So it's a it's a good time, we think, to have a show that's dedicated to this form factor. So we have actually started another show called The Tablet Show, and you can get that at thetabletshow.com. We are going to publish on Monday mornings. That's right, a first for our production company. We actually have an editor who's willing to work on Sunday nights. So go to thetabletshow.com to get episode two next Monday. But episode one is published both as a .NET Rocks and as the Tablet Show episode one. So you're a .NET developer because you're listening to .NET Rocks, so you're probably mostly concerned with WinRT, Metro, and all of that stuff, but you may dabble also in iOS and Android. So we've asked Rocky Lotka and Billy Hollis to come on the show and sort things out for us. But before we do that, let's get started with our traditional Better Know framework. And this time, I'm going to talk about the Windows runtime. Awesome. So where are we starting? Well, we're starting with the controls. We're starting with windows.ui.xaml.controls. And the one that I want to talk about today is the flip view control. Oh. And this is a a sort of an items view, like a list box. But instead of scrolling up and down like a list box, you put your finger on it and just flip it horizontally or vertically. And you get a nice little easing and a little motion that brings you to the next thing. Just Mm. like flipping pages on the tablet or in the Windows phone or even on the iPhone or the iPad. It's that same motion, just a little flip and you get to the next item. It's an interesting idea to get to start incorporating particular touch movements as part of a control. Yep. That's cool. That's it. So and that is in the UI stack, which is in Windows.ui.xaml.controls. And that's the flip view. Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a message off of the website on show 701, and this is from John Ludlow. And of course, I had to talk a little Metro if we're going to start a tablet show. So, Mm -hmm. hi guys. Uh, One issue I've got with the new Metro style is how intrusive it is when you're in desktop mode, at least from the limited amount I've seen so far. 
Today, I wanted to launch a program. I click start or the Windows button on the pane and it comes up taking over the whole screen. With Windows 8, it will take up the whole screen, but that seems heavyweight when all I want to do is launch Visual Studio. And then a few minutes later, when I want to launch Outlook, then again, when I want to launch Word and so on through my normal startup cycle. It seems like it would be a relatively easy to provide an option to have Metro live inside a window on the side of the start menu rather than have it full screen the way the current default startup experience is. Maybe they could add this option in a service pack. What do you think? Actually, you can use the group policy settings to control access to the start menu. And uh, I think I was alerted to this by somebody who was uh, listening to Paul Thoreau. Mm-hmm. And if uh, this is 34 minutes into his Windows Weekly, where uh, he uh, talks about how a contact in Microsoft says there'll be a group policy setting to give back the Windows 7-like UI needed for corporations. He also stated this shortly after the build conference and wrote it somewhere, which was uh, contrary to what he was originally told. But So I'm not quite sure exactly where that rumor came from, but Paul Throt says it came from inside Microsoft. Awesome. So there you go, John. Thanks so much for your comment. And if you've got concerns about tablet, you've got concerns about WinRT, you've got questions or other ideas for shows you do, you can write a comment on any of our shows on .NET Rocks, certainly the ones around WinRT, or send us an email, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. All right, Rocky, Billy. Rocky, you're on the road right now, right? Yes, I am. I'm in lovely Atlanta. All right. Doing some uh, consulting, or what are you doing down there? Well, what I've been doing a great deal since uh, the build conference is talking to uh, Magenix customers about um, the announcements at build and tablets and uh, the future of the uh, .NET development environment. So that's a lot of what I'm doing here. Well, good. Well, we can uh, get some of that juice in in the tablet show, I'm sure. Um, Billy and Rocky, we asked you here because you have some incredible history with .NET. You wrote the first book on VB.NET development. You guys have been around since before .NET, of course, doing software development. You also have products that are going to be affected by Metro. Um, and, uh, Billy, I know you have a lot to say about it. You, you ship software uh, like nobody's business and are in, on the ground you know, pounding the pavement with customers and finding out what they really want. So um, I guess we want to get both of your opinions, uh, sort of a general opinion about what this means for .NET developers. And Billy, why don't we start with you? Well, I've talked to probably a dozen or so clients since the middle of the build conference and on. And there's a fair amount of variability in the way they've taken it. But I think the the general conclusion that is held pretty widely is that it won't affect typical corporate development that Metro and Windows 8 in general won't affect typical corporate development uh, for a lot of business applications for a while except specifically in the mobile space so that if we if you're looking at a typical business there is some percentage of things that might be optimized for mobile, and it would certainly increase the productivity of the people in the company if you could move to mobile. But that varies from business to business, from 0% to 30 40%. Uh, in a few restricted cases, maybe even higher. Let's say it probably averages out at somewhere in the 5 to 10% range. For that segment of line of business, 
So canonical examples might be nurses walking around a floor uh, getting patient data. Mm. It might be someone walking around a warehouse getting inventory data. Right. For those kinds of, of scenarios, when does a, the, the entire tablet space is a great fit. And these people, in many cases, were serious, seriously considering adding iPad to their repertoire of platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're, they're looking at whether they can delay that in order to use uh, Windows 8 slates instead, because mm-hmm. that's a more natural fit for most of their developers. Right. Um, but except for that space, the universal opinion among these folks is we're going to keep doing our regular line of business applications the same way we have. We don't see a need to even look at Metro and WinRT seriously for them yet. Okay. That's a good place to start, Rocky. Well, my take is um, similar, I suppose, in that I've spent a fair amount of time talking to various customers um, about the same things. Um, I'm not convinced that the uh, that, that the reactions are, are quite the same as uh, what Billy is portraying. Certainly, the range is wide. There are people that are extremely excited, and there are people or organizations that are extremely fearful um, about uh, preserving their existing development investments in WPF or Silverlight. Um, but I, I sense, um, at least at the developer level, a great deal more interest in building uh, WinRT and Metro apps. Um, at the management level, uh, I, I think Billy is correct that at an organizational level, uh, a lot of people have listened to you know the, the talk and, and kind of hopefully have a better understanding of what's going on, and then are, are in fact saying, "Well, as a business decision, we're probably not going to rush uh, to the Metro UI with our business apps, except for dashboards or, or other uh, you know very isolated scenarios that are really good for for touch." Um, but from the more technical the people are, the more excited they tend to be, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of, uh, boy, this, this whole Metro UI and the, the new system services available from WinRT um, are pretty darn cool. Yes. Yeah, I, I do. You know, I spend a lot of time and effort trying to build good dashboards for enterprises, really helping the user know what he needs to work on next like what are the numbers inside of this business that are important and it seems to me like metro would naturally lend itself to that that you decompose your application so that they would have separate widgets for each role say accounts payable accounts receivable and so on and then on those widgets would be sort of the hint that hey you know you're overdue sending out your messages for uh, overdue accounts payable that kind of thing yeah i kind of i kind of think that when looking at our existing applications that we've been writing um pretty much you can filter out anything that has you know heavy text data entry but not necessarily all data entry you know um data entry can mean moving a lever uh clicking a button taking a picture um signing something with your finger uh you know that kind of thing so but it's the it's the heavy Entering text, you know, that requires really a keyboard to to utilize the UI. That that is the drawback in terms of. Uh, I think everything else is is up for reimagining. Well, and I'm not convinced that even those apps are are exempt here because Windows 8 is not just for tablets. 
right? It's easy to fixate on that because Microsoft gave everybody a tablet at build. But Windows 8 is Windows right. for every PC on the planet plus for tablets. Right. And there, there is a jarring effect when you're um, starting an application and it drops you into the desktop mode. Um, it feels like you're you're running an alien type of app <laughs> or a virtual OS or something. Almost. Um, it, you know, it's it's a disconcerting uh, sensation, and I think that by itself will drive a, uh, some level of demand for even heads down data entry apps to run in WinRT. And this has been one of the a big discussion point inside of Magenic as we, we strategize around this. Um, and I think terminology becomes really important because Metro apps are um, supposed to be all touch-friendly and, and so on and so forth. Um, but you can build um, heads-down data entry type apps on top of WinRT. And they might violate some of the Metro uh, UI standards. But then again, so does every game that's going to be written uh, to run inside of WinRT. <laughs> so if your computer and your users are all keyboard equipped, um, why wouldn't you write your line of business app to run inside of WinRT? Is this a good time to bring up a diagram of, uh, of architecture about what kind of apps you run on Windows 8? If you go to franklins.net slash images slash winrt.png, I know that's a mouthful. Uh, you'll see the, the slide that Microsoft basically put out, which has two silos, Metro style apps and desktop apps, both of which talk to the kernel at the bottom. But in the Metro space, uh, you've got XAML applications, which can be written in C or C++. And then in the managed side, C sharp or VB. Uh, what's missing from that is the .NET the new .NET 4.5 CLR, which is uh, the the Metro profile, which is going to uh, be accessible from C Sharp and VB. Those run on top of the Windows runtime, or they call into the runtime at, actually, when it gets jitted, the metadata turns into uh, native code at jit time. And then you've got the standard silos under Windows runtime, like communication, graphics, media devices, all that stuff. But next to the XAML stack in Metro-style apps is also this HTML CSS with JavaScript talking directly to the Windows runtime. No .NET CLR involved. Well, I tend to, to take what Rocky said and explain it to clients by trying to make a pretty trying to keep a pretty clear separation between WinRT and Metro because WinRT yes. is is the API. It is the thing that Windows needs because the original Win32 API is well past its prime. Right. The, the prevalence of malware and some things like that, and and the fact that we're moving into a world where um, we're not going to be nearly as concerned about where our assets are located. Win32 came about in an era where we knew we had local storage, and that was the primary source of everything we worked with. Right. And then we kind of bolted on some things. So WinRT is more about moving to that 
cloud model of where everything is and about having protection against malware and replacing the deficiencies of the Windows API. It says nothing about the kind of apps then that run on top of that. Right. Metro, on the other hand, is oriented around some specific uh, scenarios, and and I think of them in terms of consumption scenarios, that their primary purpose is consumption, that you might do lightweight data entry. A nurse might enter a temperature when they when she, she goes in a room or, mm. or something, but that, as you talked about with dashboards and various other things, that the primary purpose is consumption. So that means that Metro and the way it organizes things may... Very well not – we don't know how far down the continuum toward um, producing things and doing more heavy-duty c- creation that Metro will go. We know it won't go all the way to the end. But the, the model I put in people's head is look at your living room. Your living room is optimized for consumption. You have a stereo. You have a big screen TV. And it has one model for how you do things. Now look at your kitchen. Your kitchen is optimized for production. That you, you, you've got completely different, uh, organization schemes. You've got a lot more things in your kitchen that you have to store and organize because you need them at different times. Uh, an organization model for the living room isn't going to work for the kitchen and vice versa. Mm. So I think we, we very, very well see Metro either expanded with more organization schemes going forward for more complex apps, or we may see at some point the ability for the more complex desktop apps to get their own sort of cover over WinRT so that they don't have to go against Win32. I think in the long term, probably one of those paths is going to be needed because of of Metro's consumption orientation. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Billy, I got to I gotta bring this up right now. You mentioned malware a couple of times. While I was at Build, I met with a not-to-be-named source at Microsoft who told me that the whole reason for this new runtime and the constraints put on Metro apps came down from the top and basically following a mandate that says uh, that is reacting to a business problem that Microsoft has. And the business problem is people don't trust Windows apps anymore. Nobody trusts downloading and installing an app just because it's so easy to infect your PC and then you're done. You know, um, you can use malware and spyware removal stuff, but who wants to do that? Um, and, and so this is a problem, a very real problem that they try to solve. Also looking around, noticing, hmm, you know, 
the whole iPhone, iPad model of software is everything gets vetted through the App Store. And so there's much, much, much less of a chance that something bad is going to get in there. And if it does become bad, it just goes out of the App Store. So um, in order to have an App Store and in order to have that level of protection, they really had to sort of create this uh, in a safe environment, uh, a sandbox in which these new applications can run. And that explains a lot of, you know, why we don't have stuff in the system.io namespace, you know, why file.exists somewhere in Windows and, you know, doesn't, isn't there. So that's the whole reason for all of this is to solve that business problem. Well, I think it's a little more complex than that. That is, that is a major driving factor, but you get other things along the way. If you expect that you're going to reach an era where you don't care where your assets are anymore, then that kind of security becomes even more important. Right. But certain certain of the constraints and certain of the ways you have to do things, such as being restricted to asynchronous access, makes sense more for WinRT being a platform for the cloud. Yeah. And that would be true whether or not there was a malware problem. I, I think that Billy's right. Certainly the cloud is is a major aspect for a lot of this. Um, and, and the... Uh, uh, smoothing out of the distinction between what's on my local drive versus what's on my sky drive or Facebook or something are, you know, is really powerful. But I also think that there's this uh, strong driving force in that the, if you create a touch based UI, um, it, it can't hang up because the, the whole idea is it feels natural. Right. And if I take a piece of paper on my desk and I move it with my fingers it doesn't just glitch on me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the paper moves. And, um, and unless you're in the matrix or something. Uh-huh. Um, and, and for tablets to be successful, I think certainly what the iPad has, has shown is that they can't glitch. Yeah. And so in, I, I think this is a driving force behind just how much of the API in WinRT is asynchronous is specifically to allow that UI thread to, to not glitch. It's an interesting angle on it. I've, I've thought that the App Store is the biggest issue here, that Microsoft really wants the App Store for Windows to succeed, and part of that is creating as safe an environment as possible for it, that, you, that people will have confidence that any app that comes from that App Store right. is not going to be a problem. Well, as an end user, that's certainly what I want because I buy things on my Windows phone and you know, my wife buys things on her iPad and you know, we don't even stop to think. If it's a, the only risk you're taking is that the app might be of poor quality, but you never worry about them uh, ruining your system. Right. Yeah, what, what Rocky's basically saying is from the consumer standpoint that, that this all makes complete sense. It's not as obvious to me that it makes sense now for the business or that it will at some point. Mm. Uh, the, the more distributed businesses certainly might very well see this, see the app store and all of the safety that comes along with the lack of malware as, as a big deal. But if you look at what companies are doing inside their, their organization, they have a lot of administration to control the malware That's now. Right. They like to control their own software. And so there's a natural tension there on the business side that's going to make them 
they're certainly not going to be early adopters of Metro. Uh, they might or might not be early adopters of Windows 8 for other reasons, but Metro and the App Store and the things like that for those scenarios in business, I think are going to be a little bit slow to adopt. I think the, the slate scenarios are by far going to be the, the, the quick adoption scenarios. Guys, would you go so far as to say that Windows 8 is a consumer edition of Windows, that Microsoft's not really worrying about the enterprise this time around? They're just going to focus on trying to win the consumer at a new level? I'd, I'd call it a consumer edition with the potential expansion into other editions later. Is that a, does that make sense? I, I, don't, I don't think we know yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'd say. And, and, and the reason I say it is, is this, that I, I think if, if, if the supposition here is that WinRT was primarily created in order to create a secure environment to run applications that solves a business problem, which is that malware is an issue. And, and that's a pretty good narrative. And then we turn around and say that this only works on home computers and on corporate computers, you're still going to have to live with all the viruses because the only apps that you can deploy are ones that are deploying on the Windows desktop side where there, we, we can't protect any better than we did in Windows 7, then, I mean, that's not a good story. And I can't, I can't fathom that Microsoft's planning on that being the corporate story. I suspect they just don't uh, or aren't ready to uh, reveal uh, exactly how it is that corporations are going to be rolling out applications that they build using WinRT. You're probably right there, Rocky. I mean, we really don't know. And, uh, you know, in my biggest concern is for existing people who live in the desktop and not use metro uh or it's really going to get in the way and so turning it off for those people is probably going to make the difference between whether they use it or not so and and, and i would argue that in the enterprise the the malware problem is much better dealt with than at the average residence true so, you know, it's the residences that need to help. I don't have the stats in front of me, but, you know, my gut tells me, you know, the work I do in the enterprises, we're putting a lot, you've got professionals that are putting a lot of energy into that already, mm. and you don't have it at home. On the other hand, that's not free. And so if Microsoft were able to uh, tell corporations that they no longer needed to uh, invest in the staff and software uh, to run multiple layers of you know, antivirus and anti-malware checks and all this other stuff. Um, yeah, that's a pretty compelling story too. For if you're talking to a you know, IT manager, well, certainly the idea that today you're locked down, you can't install anything unless it goes through SMS. Uh, the, the increased flexibility of saying, "Well, yeah, you can get something through the App Store, and we know that's safe." That that does make for a lot less a lot less friction in some of the things that are going on. But you all, you have to compare some of those benefits that you get with the natural tendency for um, teams in the business development world to minimize the number of platforms they support. They really don't like supporting multiple platforms. That's expensive and messy for for de- from a development perspective. In the .NET era, for example, I saw a lot of businesses that used ASP.NET for everything. Right. Even though the even though the browser based UI wasn't perfect for a lot of what they were doing, uh, because they needed maybe more some more richness, they had to have ASP.NET for a segment of what they did to get broad reach. 
And they just said, we're only going to support one platform. We're going to use it for everything. So the dynamic of picking platforms is affected by that desire to keep the number of platforms down. The expertise that you need in the current Win32 sort of environment is a pretty different set of, of expertise skill sets from what you need to do in the WinRT Metro world. And so to get people to, to, to transition from one to the other is a big platform shift and having them support both at the same time. There are a lot of businesses who are simply going to blanch at that. All right. I really want to bring the conversation back to the developer. We've sort of given you an idea of what Metro is all about and, you know, where, what the big picture is for the strategy, perhaps. And, uh, now you are probably asking yourself, okay, what code do I have laying around here that I can leverage? And how much pain is it going to be to leverage my existing code into a Metro app? And this is essentially the first question that hit me as I was watching Steven Sanowski from the audience at Build, you know, and uh, it took a while before they started doing demos of taking, uh, I think he took an existing Silverlight app that Scott Guthrie had on Silverlight.net, a sample app, and uh, and brought it into a Metro project in Visual Studio in the developer preview and said, and so most of the XAML comes across pretty much as is. And I thought, thought oh, that's cool. And he says, in the code, you know, we had to make a few tweaks, like the file I.O. stuff and the network stack and but other than that, you know, it was pretty simple and here it is. Boom. And it was running and it was like, wow. Okay. So it's, you start with Silverlight and you do a few tweaks and you got Metro. And so now the question is, what does that few tweaks involve? And Rocky, I want to toss this over to you because you've spent the last few weeks here. What has it been? Four or five weeks? Ta- uh, trying to convert or, you know, build a C, uh, a Metro version of CSLA.net or a WinRT version. So what all was involved? Well, you make it sound like I've spent all of my time and it's been a, an extremely part-time project because it's not high on my priority list. Okay. Other than it's very cool. So I've spent yeah, maybe 10 hours or something. All right. Um, Trying to get a uh, take the CSLA code base and make it build uh, in Visual Studio 11 for WinRT. Okay. And the it, it's as, as you would expect. It's not quite as easy as uh, Steven Snowski made it sound. So yeah, and that's that's pretty much what I was thinking too. You know, and then a miracle happens. Yeah, we need to flesh out the details there. I do think that it's true. That on the, the starting from Silverlight is clearly the way to go. Um, I tried starting from the uh, full.net version of CSLA and rapidly uh, backed off from that because I had to re-solve all of the problems that we solved when we um, made CSLA work in Silverlight. And, and so that by itself is pretty telling <laughs> in that if you're a Windows Forms or WPF uh, developer, um, you're probably going to have more work to, to shift than if you're uh, a Silverlight developer. And But from that point, an awful lot of my challenges have, have been around um, the, those seemingly simple changes to the API, like reflection is quite different. Yeah. 
And um, when you create a WCF uh, service reference, um, it, the, the service proxies are now um, different. Even though the Silverlight ones were async and so are the WinRT ones, the WinRT uh, service proxies are designed around the new uh, C-sharp and VB await and async keywords. Right. And so, you know, there's just a whole set of code there that I had to rewrite. And, of course, there's a variety of other, you know, smaller things. And it it all adds up, I guess, is, is what I'm getting at, in that if you've got a sizable code base, you have to plan to touch an awful lot of it um, to make it work. And, of course, in my case, it's a little more tricky because I need to make it con- the same code base continue to work on .NET, Silverlight, the Windows Phone, and now I'm making that same code base work on WinRT so that I can continue to maintain and compile against all those platforms. So you had issues with reflection. I remember you also said something about there's since there's no background worker, you had to write yourself one. And That's true. Yeah. And um, also the WCF uh, implementation, which is a bit different. And, yeah. And, the, and yeah, that was not, uh, n- none of these things have been traumatic. I, I think that's one thing to keep in mind is, so the background worker doesn't exist, and CSLA relies on that. Um, and creating your own background worker equivalent with the new async and await keywords turns out to be pretty easy. The WCF service reference differences um, are, are, it's a kind of a mechanical change in a sense, because instead of handling callback events, you're just using the await keyword. Right. And so, I, yeah, it required a little refactoring of code, and that took a couple hours. But it, the, it's equivalent functionality. It's just the flow of your code has changed. Right. And and the same is true of reflection. All of the things that reflection does in .NET, there, there's a direct analog in WinRT. It's just that the object that you're calling, and, and sometimes the API is slightly different, and is a little more link friendly and a little less um, nineteen or uh, two thousand two uh, .NET friendly. Yeah, if you want to think about it, you know, it's an updated API. Right. Well, uh, I I got to work um, last week in trying to compare the uh, the XAML implementation that we have available to us. Now, there's two XAML stacks in in uh in Windows 8, right? There's a native XAML uh stack that's available only from C++, I think. And then there's the one that's available in WinRT. Uh is that true? All right. Well, Not me. well we don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's what I heard. Uh that's what I heard it build. So, but I was interested in of course for C# Sharp VBNet developers what the what the changes in the in the UI mean. So, I I uh took the uh, Silverlight 4 API reference and the uh, Windows Runtime reference, starting with windows.ui.xaml, and went through all the namespaces. And for each one, uh, I counted the number of uh, classes, structures, interfaces, delegates, enumerations, and attributes in each namespace. And I also looked to see which ones have, you know, which classes, let's say, I'm looking at a list of classes. I want to see which ones have the same name 
in windows.ui.xaml. And so I created a wiki, which you can check out at metroapps.wikispaces.com. And if you're a developer working in this space and you want to contribute, all you got to do is request, uh, um, uh, request membership. And uh, then you can go to town. And basically what it is, it's a wiki to illustrate what it means to move from Silverlight to Metro WinRT. So here's the results. And I publish these. I don't, I don't have the detail of which classes, structures, whatever, which types are not available and which ones are new. But I did count them. And it turns out that uh 393 of the 756 UI types in Silverlight 4 exist with the same name in WinRT and that's about 52%. Now that doesn't mean that's just a number. That doesn't mean that um any one is more important than any of the other ones. Like the all, all the important ones are there. For example, there's a lot of new classes and a lot of new types, right? That some of them are just a little bit different named, like functionality that was previously in Foo Converter are now in Foo Helper. They kind of do the same thing, but they, you know, they're different classes. Um, not supported in the controls list are Calendar, Child Window, Data Grid, Data Pager, Date Picker, Description Viewer, Multi-scale image, open file dialog, save file dialog, a rich text box, tab control, tab item, tree view, validation, and web browser. But you can sort of see how there are um, analogs to those in Metro. This is really getting into the heart of the UI here. But, and also reading from your wiki here, I'm not, I don't want to claim your work, but like system.windows.browser not implemented at all. Well, it makes sense. Thanks, it's makes not Silverlight. There's right. no browser. There's no child window because there's no pop-ups. This is right. a new UI, right? And uh, we'll, it remains to be seen what the calendar is going to look like, but um, right now there's no calendar. So, But there are new controls. We have application bar, capture element, carousel panel, flip view, grid view, group item, jump viewer, list view, media player, progress ring, Rich text block, web view, and wrap grid. So you can see how some of those sort of have the same, you know, flavor as their Silverlight counterparts, but they're just a little different. No web browser, but we have a web view. No rich text box, but we have a rich text block, etc. So, um, but then some things uh, are completely rewritten, like ink. SystemWindows.ink, if you did any work on the tablet PC with uh, handwriting recognition, that's completely rewritten. Uh, SystemWindows Interop is pretty much not there. Uh, let's see. SystemWindows Media Effects, not there. SystemWindows Messaging, not there. Um, SystemWindows Browser, as Richard said, also. But um, I don't want to scare anybody, and Rocky pointed this out. Uh, to me that, you know, this might cause a little FUD, but really what it's all about is take your existing Silverlight apps, load them up in the developer preview and see for yourself. You know, the fundamental XAML types are all there. Well, and just to reinforce th- that about 
you know, not being too scared because, you know, we talked, I, I took CSLA. Well, most of the CSLA code is just fine. Yeah. Of course, it's not, it's not very UI focused. And so it's really just some, some very discrete areas where um, Windows or WinRT is a little bit different at, at certain API points. But the vast, vast majority of my code um, is compiling unchanged. And I think that'll be true for most people. Their their business type code and their algorithmic code will probably be largely or completely unaffected. It's at the UI level and maybe at the WCF service level where they're going to you know, run into issues. And for me, one of the major holes that I, I presume will be there because, well, I'll kind of explain why, I guess, is that I tie up a lot of frameworky. Uh, type logic in behaviors, and behaviors aren't there yet. Now, behaviors are basically possible to construct even as a third-party thing just based on the underlying idea of attached properties. So it can be done, um, but it would be certainly be nice if that were built in, and, and that's missing at this point. So all the frameworky stuff that I would normally do in Silverlight that basically ties that back-end stuff that Rocky's talking about mm. into the UI. My technique for doing that isn't supported yet. And and to be fair, it was never actually a part of the system framework. Yeah. It was an extra library that the Blend team designed. I was actually hoping to see that get merged into the system library because it's one of the more interesting things that's been done in XAML over the last three or four years. And Microsoft's pretty adamant that this is a pre-release, not even a beta. So I guess there's another question here of how much more is going to be added before we get to beta. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's why I'm uh, not, I, I try to avoid drawing conclusions um, based on what's missing because we don't really know what's missing. Right. And and even the bits we've got, you don't know how long ago they cut off to be ready for build, to be stable enough for build to release that pre-release. Who knows what's That's already right. added? And so I, I try to keep my conclusions drawn largely to the bits that we have because I'm assuming, well, I assume that some of them will change, but I assume that, that the vast majority of what they are, have provided at build is going to be reasonably consistent going forward. And so then... Then you can, I think, start drawing conclusions like like they changed reflection. Well, they're probably not going to change it back. Yeah, and and so you know we can work we can work with that. That's great, you know. But um, things like the calendar control or I'm with Billy. I would desperately like to see behaviors um, be baked directly into the system because they're a wonderful tool, um, and, and they might be. We we don't know. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. I have a question from uh, my Facebook page, which I'm, uh, I put a message out there, you know, asking for questions. Rick Hodder says, how does the form factor of tablets change development style? What are worst practices for developing on tablets? Lately, I've seen a lot of apps that show how you can start watching a video on your phone, pause, and then jump to a tablet and play from where you left off. 
Is that something users really need? It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Do I mean, as, as a user of um, you know, Windows Phone, and I watch Netflix on my phone, um, yeah, the idea that I can then switch to my Windows tablet and, and pick up right where I left off um, is pretty cool. And, and in fact, that is the way it works uh, with Netflix because they keep track of my progress on the server, right? Um, but it, you know that that kind of idea as an end user is in fact very compelling. I, I could project that into the business space too, right? It would be useful if you're in the middle of a set of of uh, lookups. Say, say you're pulling together a collection of data for a meeting. You use your big desktop machine to do it, and when you get it to a place you like, to know that it's going to show up in the same state on your tablet when you get to the meeting is pretty compelling. Well, and, and just a, a real example here is that um, I had configured my build tablet with my live ID so and, and told it that it was okay to sync my uh, system settings to SkyDrive. Mm-hmm. And then I configured it with pictures of my kids and as my wallpaper and some of that stuff. Well, just a couple of days ago, I created a virtual machine um, so that I can run Windows 8 on my desktop and do some other other work. And... I guess I should have anticipated this, but it caught me by surprise when this virtual machine had the same wallpaper and the same login experience because it picked up all of the settings from SkyDrive. Nice. Yeah, that's that's a great feature. It's an interesting and, impact, yeah. And yeah, it, it surprised me because I'd kind of forgotten that that's how it worked, and, and yet I think that'll become the new normal. Right. Um, is that your roaming profile, which honestly I've never seen them work even in a corporate environment, <laughs> But all of a sudden, your roaming profiles, I suspect, are going to follow you anywhere in the world, which is very, very cool. It is very cool. Um, you, you know, they, uh, we've tried this before with, with lower level tools, you know, giving developers and users the ability to control their own pieces of data, you know, but never just this, you know, everything, everything follows you. That's just very cool. Well, and I also think that some of the things that, and, and I don't know if these are tablet specific exactly, but you know, when you go to um, uh, retrieve a picture on Windows 8, it, it comes up with the you know, picture finder, which consumes the whole screen, yeah. and which may or may not be good, but the I, I think it's kind of neat. And then it treats the local C drive and um, sources like Facebook and, and uh, Windows Live all as peers. And so when your application wants to open a picture, the user gets that same flexibility. And you know that that kind of having the operating system itself integrate the various aspects of cloud services and local services and local applications and your local hard drive all into one seamless experience. Um, and I get that for free as a WinRT developer. I find that very cool, very compelling. I was looking at the share charm. I believe that's the correct terminology. And the fact that it, this looks like it's just a pure subscription model. Any app can subscribe to sharing and also be a consumer of sharing, almost like cut and paste. So the, the, suddenly the, the operating system owns the relationship between apps sharing information. Right. And what you're talking about is charms. These are these little side configurators that are built into the operating system that fly in 
from the side or show up in an app tap, uh, application bar. And uh, the Windows runtime exposes these via contracts, which are essentially interfaces that you implement and satisfy the contract. So all of search is OS level. And when somebody searches for something, you're fulfilling the contract, you're going to get notified, and then you search your data, whatever that data is, however you search it, and then post your results. And the end result of that is everything gets searched, every app gets searched, and it all comes together in one list. That's pretty cool. If they can get search right, I'd believe that that they really deeply thought about this operating system uh, at a level that, for example, I never saw search work well in any earlier versions of Windows. It it got less bad, but it never got good. And I'd like to see it get good because that's a that's a fundamental thing people have to do all the time. With the more content, the more assets, the more information we build up, and the older some of us get, <laughs> the harder it is to find the things we want. And Windows 7, as much as I like it in other respects, does not help me as much there as I'd like for it to. When I'd really like it that I, when I build my apps that run on Win 8, that I can be part of that search mechanism, that I can you know expose some level of my application to the search mechanisms so that you can get to my app that way. Well, and just think if you're a manufacturing company and you uh, build a, an application to manage your inventory and inventory quantities and, and the user can go to the Windows search, right, just the, 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 that single charm and be able to search and find all information about a given product um, and, and simultaneously, presumably, all the emails about the product and you know, it'd search all that, um, you talk about a, I mean, that's almost like a pipe dream for people. Right. We haven't talked very much about the, the whole XAML versus HTML5 thing. You oh, guys yeah. have, we, we, you know, we've concentrated on XAML. That's an area that, uh, I think a lot of people are asking questions about that I've been doing a fair amount of thinking about. And, uh, I, th- I think we probably ought to spend a bit of time on that. First of all, let's talk about, uh, the new blend, which spits out uh, HTML5. How cool is that? I, I that was one of the biggest surprises for yeah. me to build. I did not expect to see that. I, I mean, certainly we we need better tools for HTML5. The tools aren't very mature there, and I like Blend, but it never occurred to me to put the two of those together. And 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 that was that was a big surprise. I, I haven't spent much time working on it, but what little I have, it seems to work pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I, the demos that I saw it build were pretty freaking amazing. Uh, just, you know, it's a tool that we've all sort of played with a little bit. I know most developers shy away from Blend, but, you know, the the ones that have are going to, you know, they get that nice surprise now that, you know, they're, this stuff just spits out HTML5. That's really cool. And I've been trying to figure out Microsoft's thinking here, um, and, and I've got some hypotheses, but I haven't come to any conclusions. Uh, uh, the The on-stage rationale was we'd like to attract a lot of other developers from other platforms into right. Windows by offering them HTML5 and JavaScript. And I, I, I guess, I guess I'm skeptical that people who are into the whole open web thing are, are going to choose Windows 8 for that reason. I suppose there are some, but that doesn't seem to be quite as, as big a, uh, an effect. 
Well, it's two different things, Billy. I think um, if you're developing for the iPad, you're writing a native app. If you're developing for Android, you're writing a native app. You're developing for the Windows 8 tablet, you're going to write a native app. The difference is what do you use to do it? So while it's a little confusing because you talk to a developer who's not a, you know, who is a HTML, CSS, JavaScript person, and they hear that and they don't think that it's a binary. They think that it's, oh, well, you can write web apps, you know, every, great. The web browser will run my app. Awesome. But that's I- not really what's happening. It's you're building a native Metro app using HTML5 and JavaScript. I understand. And that's, and that's where I'm a little skeptical that it will attract other developers from the open web ecosystem in. I, I, I don't know how big yeah, that I don't know either. You know, yeah. I, I thrown up a link here, uh, calling all the way back to early in the show here, Carl, where you brought up that original WinRT quote unquote architecture diagram. Right. Doug Seven did this great blog post where he updated that diagram. So I've, I put the link on the site for this because you should really look at it. One of the things he, I think he did a better picture of showing how there's really three distinctive areas of development that are equal against WinRT. One of them is HTML5 and this weird version of JavaScript called the Chakra Engine. Uh, one of them is .NET with a customized version of the .NET 4.5 uh, framework. And one of them is C++. And every one of them got something new. You know, obviously the frameworks changed for us .NET people, but you know, C++ folks are finally able to really work with XAML where they never were before. They had to talk directly to DirectX. And then the idea that JavaScript has access to Windows services is crazy, but it still seems like they haven't picked a winner. They just said, okay, all three of you have equal rights to win RT. Go nuts. Exactly. And if you look at that, that tendency I mentioned earlier, that things tend to coalesce around a platform. And so Microsoft's thinking about that, which I didn't see that they necessarily um, articulated, but it kind of is implicit in some of the reasoning, is that if you expect the single platform thing that I talked about earlier to be the case, well, HTML5 might be a great candidate for that without paying some of the price that you pay today, that you could use a flavor of it for your broad reach. And you could use another flavor of it for your internal stuff and get access to a deeper level of the operating system without people completely completely changing platforms the way they had to from ASP.NET to, to Windows Forms. Yep. So I'm wondering if there isn't some of that kind of thinking going on internally, that that's the, one of the, the implicit expectations of HTML5 is that it becomes that universal platform with different flavors for the continuum of different kinds of apps, whereas XAML's never going to reach the entire continuum because we've kind of given up on the idea that XAML is something that that you that you use ge- uh, generally for public things on Microsoft. the web. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think I think it all comes down to getting to that aha moment with um, with the HTML JavaScript developer that this really is using the tools you know to build a native app. I mean. Once that light bulb goes off, I think, you know, they'd be willing to check it out because they don't have to learn a new language. And let's face it, there are more HTML developers for, you know, whatever you want to call them, HTML people, JavaScript people out there than .NET people. There's tons of them. They don't, they teach it in college everywhere, JavaScript, but they don't teach C Sharp uh, everywhere. And what's really cool about Doug Seven's um, 
uh, interesting about Doug Seven's diagram here, Richard, is that what's missing from the original diagram we saw it build was the CLR. Right. Like, you know, that's as a .NET developer, I want to know where that is. It was missing from the whole XAML C Sharp VB stack. And he nicely put that in there, but also showed how everything overlaps in the millions of ways that you can write apps. And by the way, just in case we haven't reiterated enough, if you're in desktop mode, everything that ran on Windows 7 will run in Windows 8. Right. In desktop mode. So. That's the main thing about that particular diagram, if you're looking at it, is the blue side says everything's okay. Everything's okay. Yeah, you're still working the way you've always worked. Right. The green side said, here's all the possibilities for how you can work with Metro. Right. And I mean, the, and the most important thing to me was that .NET 4.5 asterisk. Yep. That it's different. Yes. I think the, I think the key thing there, at least in my mind, is that we already have three flavors of the .NET core runtime. We have .NET itself. Actually, okay, we actually have four flavors, right? Because we have .NET full profile, .NET client profile, mm -hmm. we have Silverlight, and then we have the Windows Phone. And I just, for the record, there's also SQL Server. Everybody forgets. But the first non-original CLR was the run that ran in SQL Server. Yeah, that's right. Well, and both guys enough. care, but <laughs> sorry, but you know, you know, one one of the reasons I think .NET 2.0 was so much of a better version of .NET is the effort it took to make the CLR run in SQL 2005 really kicked the snot out of the CLR. It made it a better product. Yeah, that's right. But it's pure historical reference. But you know, just this idea that CLR runs in multiple places has been around for a few years. All right, so so I didn't mean to offend. Let me try this again. <laughs> <laughs> now you got him riled up. Rich. You got me wound up there, Rocky. Dang it. I, 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 Get no, off my I lawn. You <laughs> <Ew>, kids. <laughs> so we've got .NET Client, .NET Full, .NET SQL, Silverlight, Windows Phone, and in my mind, what's happening is WinRT just adds another flavor. Right? I agree. Another profile. Yep. Another profile. And this one is a little, a little more different than the other ones, but it's not actually a whole lot more different, I don't think, than, than, uh, .NET is to Silverlight. You know, when, when RT is about as different for, to Silverlight as .NET was to Silverlight. If right. That, if that makes sense. Although it just seemed like WinRT and Silverlight are far more related than, you know, WinRT and the rest of .NET. Oh, I totally agree. Absolutely. They both share similar size uh, in terms of the, the, the number of classes and types, and uh, they both are, have a heavy focus on asynchronous, uh, WinRT more so yet. Um, and, and so, um, but, but it's, there's absolutely no doubt that if you're writing Silverlight now, um, you're already doing a lot of the things and thinking in a lot of the ways that you'll need to be thinking and working when you switch to WinRT. And that, in fact, it, it makes me laugh because immediately following uh, and even during build was all of this, uh, the hue and cry that Silverlight is dead. Oh, yeah. And and my tweet in the middle of the whole thing was Silverlight lives. <laughs> yeah. Or Silverlight <laughs> because, is dead, long live Silverlight. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, yeah, what, what are people going to be using as a tool for the next two, three, four years until they can go to WinRT? And the the logical strategic choice is Silverlight. Absolutely. So there's one more topic we got to talk about, and that is how does a developer that doesn't have a tablet 
start writing Metro apps today? Well, step one is to go buy a tablet. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, in other words, there's no virtual machine equivalent. Um, I mean, of course, you can't touch it, but we can't we can't even build Metro apps without a without a tablet. Uh, you can install Windows 8, luckily, in a virtual machine, um, and I, I believe there are several different options. The one that I have used is Oracle's VirtualBox. Um, and, and I gravitated toward that because I saw a, uh, a tweet or Facebook post that said that they had added a Windows 8 profile into their tool. Wow. And, and so I thought, well, that's cool. <laughs> so I, I downloaded VirtualBox and uh, uh, downloaded the uh, Windows 8 uh, ISO distribution. And in one word of caution is there are multiple Windows 8 uh, ISO distributions. The one that you need to use is the Windows 8 with tools. And in fact, Windows 8 64-bit with tools, to be really clear. That, that's um, because the big that's one. the only one that gives you a developer license. That's the big one. And then I just uh, fired up VirtualBox, aimed it at the ISO as the boot media, and it... Uh, installed windows just pretty much like it does windows seven it was quick and smooth and easy and uh and it ran fine it seems to be working just perfectly well the main thing here is to be know how to set up a virtual machine from an iso and that's not always obvious well i think it helped here because VirtualBox um had the windows 8 profile so as i walked through their uh wizard to create a virtual machine, um, I just chose Windows 8, right. and it pretty much set up the defaults. I upped the memory, because I've got a ton of memory on my computers, and I wanted lots in my virtual machine, and I upped it to use more than one of my uh, host computer's cores, because um, I figured it would work better as a, you know, if, if the uh, guest was running on a, a two or three CPUs. And, um, and then I told VirtualBox to mount the ISO as the DVD drive. And so then when, when it booted the machine, um, just like a regular computer, um, it you know, detected the DVD drive and, and uh, ran the, the media there and just ran the installer. Right. And, uh, and Scott Hanselman's got a great blog post from uh, a few weeks ago on exactly how to set up Windows 8 Developer Preview off of VHD, which is the, the Hyper-V virtual machine. So you can make it work. Just follow the steps. Also, I'm going to add a link to Miguel Diacaza's great article, WinRT Demystified, uh, which is really, really great. You know, it's Miguel. He's explaining what is really going on. This was the first question that I had, too, at our technical meeting. What is WinRT? <laughs> So if you really want to know from technical perspective what that is, check out that article. Guys, this has been a great hour plus, and uh, I think we're really on to something here. I hope you can come back often and, and share your insights and your experiences with us and the listeners. I'm looking forward to it. This is exciting times. Sure is. Thanks, Billy. Oh, you're welcome, gentlemen. All right, and we'll see you guys next time on The Tablet Show.
Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. Dotnet Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.